Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Happy Father's Day. Welcome to everybody. Welcome to Trinity Community Church. I'm Pastor TJ. It's a privilege to stand up and to speak to you today. Welcome to everybody online. It's great to have all the dads in the house today. Um, Father's Day, what a unique, a unique holiday. Um, I was looking online this week. This is true. Um, you know, so the highest rated holiday that we have, you ready for this, is Christmas. Second is Mother's Day. 20th is Father's Day. Seriously. So between Mother's Day and Father's Day, you've got some big ones like Easter, but then you have things like Arbor Day, Flag Day, Columbus Day ranks higher than Father's Day. Isn't that nuts? How many of you know we got to do a better job? Yeah. Right? We just have to do a better job. So it's glad that you're here today, and it's glad that we're here to celebrate what it means to be a father. Now, let me just preface what I'm going to say by saying this as well. Um, I'm going to direct my talk today toward our men, toward our dads. Now, ladies, I don't want you to feel left out, but I just feel like today i got to speak it. You can, you're going to be able to grab stuff from my talk. It's going to be great. So do me a favor. Do not send me emails texts or any of that stuff. Just, just go with the flow. Can you go with the flow with me today? Yeah. Trust me, it'll be better. It'll be better for you. I remember when I became a dad. Uh, you know, one of our worship guys today, Tyler, is my eldest son. And um, I can tell you this right now. Those of you that have had children, there aren't enough videos, books, anything to prepare you adequately for the day your child arrives. It's not like the old days where the guys would be somewhere else, you know, waiting for the phone call. You know, congratulations, you have a girl. Congratulations, you have a boy. Your, your buddies celebrate, you high five, and then you go to the hospital. The baby's cleaned up, and then there you go. Now, they want the men to be part of the process. How many of you men were in the room when your child came out? I was not prepared for that experience. They give you the blue stuff and the booties and all the stuff, and you get in there, and it's crazy. Let me just tell you something. I saw things, <laughs> things I still can't explain. And I distinctly remember being in there, looked at Robin, she was incredible, uh, and then she was also terrifying. I saw a strength I'd never seen before, and I thought, never get this person really mad, you could die. <laughs> and then I remember when, when Tyler was there, you know, there he is, you know, they cleaned him up, thank God, and then they handed him to me, and as he handed me, I remember holding him, thinking to myself, everything's different now. I have this little child now, and it's my job as a father to pour into this little kid, to prepare this kid for life that he's not even aware of yet. And it changed everything for me. This holy weight came over me saying, man, now you got a job to do. Um, there is something sacred about being a father. So we celebrate our dads today. Now, again, let me say this again. Um, now, we talk about men and women, and understand me in this. Men and women are equally powerful. We are. We bring a power to the table. Um, you know, when God created Eve, he took Eve from Adam. And from the two, you have divine breath and you have power. Together, God brings us together and we bring a whole picture of what a family looks like. Single moms, man, I salute you because I don't know how you do this on your own. It's incredible. But understand this. Even though we're equally powerful, God created us to be distinct. That means this, we each bring something to the table. We're all, we're each uniquely different. All of us bring something to the table. And in our families, in our society specifically, you need both. You need a representation of both. Um, so as we focus on dads today, girls, I don't want you to feel left out because you can apply some of this stuff. And do me a favor, do not send me emails. You, you hate women. I love, I, I don't hate women. Okay? Caught myself there, right? What we got to do, though, is this. I want us to, to focus on holistically being who we're supposed to be. That makes sense? Now, that being said, uh, moms, you have been knocking it out of the park. You have made up for us, for us guys that have been absent. Now, how do we say that, you know, guys have been absent? Right now, 52% of our households don't have men in them. Fathers are non-existent. That means more than not, and I'm not talking about stepdads. I'm talking about men that are non-existent in the home. Men, we need to step up. We have to do better. 
Because as we go, again, we're part of the rudders for our society. We'll impact our society for good or for bad. Just like moms, our kids need godly men to impact their lives, to show them what we're supposed to be in Christ. If they don't have that male figure, um, our families start to, to, to veer. And our churches, our society, everything is only as strong as our families. It is. It reminded me of a story. I came across this. This is interesting to me. Some years ago, uh, officials at Kruger National Park in South Africa, um, they were charged with helping to bring back this, uh, this elephant population, this white elephant population. They were on the verge of extinction, so they did such a good job, they found themselves with an overpopulation of these, these elephants. So they didn't know what to do, so they decided we're going to start to take and spread these elephants out over a bunch of other game parks in Africa. So they, they, they it's really cool actually, they, they, they built these harnesses, and the, the, you know, the plan was to, by helicopter, take these elephants one by one and relocate them to another game preserve. So this worked beautifully for the juvenile elephants and for the mama elephants, but they found out the big bull male elephants, the harnesses weren't strong enough uh, to carry them and they would break. So they just decided, we're just going to move the juveniles and the, and the mom elephants to the other park, and we'll leave all the bulls at this, this Kruger Park. And everything seemed like it was going fine. They thinned out the herd, everything was great. Until about, about three to four months after they'd moved these elephants, they noticed something happening in this other game park that they moved these elephants to. These rare white, uh, white rhinos were being killed, and they didn't know why. They found all this kind of devastation. They didn't know what was going on. So they, they put up game cameras to see if they could figure out if it was poachers or something else was going on. And to their surprise, it was these juvenile elephants. They would get together. They would corner one of these white rhinos. They would stomp it to death, gore it to death, and move on to the next thing. They were just creating havoc all through the park. They didn't know why. They'd never seen elephants act like this before. So they went back, and they tried to figure out what was different between the Kruger Park and this new park. And they came up with this conclusion. They were missing the male bull elephants. So they decided to try something. They built stronger harnesses, and they started to transport some of these bull elephants to this new game preserve. And the craziest thing happened. Over a couple months, all of the killings stopped. These bull elephants took the lead in these herds, and one by one, these little juvenile elephants would get right behind the bulls. Those male elephants, the big bulls, would teach these other elephants what it meant to be an elephant. And they fit perfectly into the ecosystem and everything thrived. How many of you know that we need dads to help release our young men? We need dads to show our daughters what it means to be loved and what it means to have a godly man in their life. Just like you need the nurturing side of mothers to help you out as, as a man or as a woman, you need, again, the, the courageous part of a man to help to show you what it means to be a man. I remember years ago, <clears throat> I was uh, coaching football in Denver, and uh, Tyler was in 10th grade. I still remember this. That was a very odd year for us in the football team. Uh, we had four young men that year in high school in the football team that were going to be daddies. When you looked at the entire team, Tyler was one of three students, players that we had on that team, that had a mom and a dad in the home. All of the others were either by single mom or they were in foster care. Of all these football players, 50 football players. So that made him, that put Tyler in the minority. He had a mom and he had a dad. One of the kids on our team, he came up to me one day. They used to call me Pastor Coach. They said, Pastor Coach, I need your help. I said, what's going on? He said, well, he goes, um, I got my, my girlfriend, a seventh grader, pregnant. And he says, I don't know what to do. He says, I don't know what it means to be a husband, and I don't know what it means to be a dad, and I'm terrified. His dad died at 21 years old. He was a little baby when his dad passed away. He said, will you meet with me and help me and show me what it means like to be a dad? I said, absolutely. So we started to meet together, and again, this was one of the kids in our school that I would consider a, a kid on the edge. He was always disrespectful, didn't know how to talk to people, didn't know how to treat people. And I was in meeting after meeting with him and all these counselors, and they kept wanting to throw this kid out. And not one time did they even ask the question, what does this kid's home life look like? He had no example. He had no godly example. He lived on people's couches. And I wish I could tell you that the story turned out to be a Disney story, and this kid figured everything out, and he lived happily ever after. 
He didn't. He tried his best. He dropped out of school and just kind of disappeared. We need godly men in our homes, in our churches, in our society. We do. We need to have that counterpart. We live right now in a, in a, in a generation where, where men are absent. They're gone, and I don't believe that's God's heart. I believe God wants to restore what it means for us to be fathers again. So how do we help release this next generation of children and help them to be everything that God created them to be? How do we model for this? So again, now, ladies, you're going to be able to glean stuff from this, but I want to speak to the men today. Um, the only way I know how to awaken the heart of a man is through another man. This, this stuff is caught. It's not just taught. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Excuse me, chapter 16. Now, let me preface this by saying this, too. Um, you guys know me. I'm a word nerd. That means that I like, I, you know, I, I love Greek, I love Hebrew, Aramaic, all that stuff. Um, as you open your Bible, you're going to notice in some of your translations it doesn't read like this. We're going to read from the ESV, which is a pretty straight translation from the Greek and the Hebrew. Some of you may have an NLT, you may have an NIV, and you'll notice that there's a word in this that's not in yours. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but I can promise you this, because I'm a word nerd, it's in the Greek. If it's in the Greek, we talk about it. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Let me read it again. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. So what can we glean from this passage that'll help us to be the men, the people that God created us to be? Well, first, we have to be watchful. If you look at that Greek word for watcho or watchful, it's Gregorio, which actually means this, to be awake, to watch, to be on alert. This is a military term that was used for the sentries that they would put on top of the walls of cities that would be there as a lookout looking for danger, looking for trouble, looking for marauders to come in. So back in the day, they didn't have binoculars. They didn't have, you know, all the sophisticated stuff we had. They had courageous men with eyeballs looking out into the darkness, waiting for attacks. So everybody inside the, the city could sleep well at night knowing that the city was watched and protected by these men. Uh, it was a, an important thing. So one of the responsibilities for us as fathers, according to this passage, is to stand guard and to watch over our families. God has placed us to look out over our families and to see and identify danger. He has. It's one of the ways that we function as the priests of our home. Protecting our families, giving no room for the enemy to enter our homes. Beloved, don't forget, the enemy hates your guts. Do you know that? He hates you. I know you're thinking, well, I didn't do nothing to him. You don't have to. You know why he hates you? Because you're an image bearer. You are made in the image of God. And that means this. The enemy can't take God out. The only way he can hurt God is by hurting his children, which is you and me. So he does everything he can to take us out as image bearers. He does. So we have to be mindful of this, and we have to be watchful. When it comes to your home, it's our job as men to be the spiritual leaders of our home, to be the watchmen, those who are on the walls, so that our families can live in safety. They can live in peace. We have to be on watch. We have to be on guard. Why? Because the enemy is always looking for ways to get in. It's funny, we talk about elephants and the big herds of elephants. Your family is like a little herd. And then our church is like a big herd. A big herd of dysfunctional animals. That's us, right? And what happens to the herd when somebody kind of drifts off and does their own thing? That's when the enemy comes in like the cats and tries to take people out. It's our job as watchmen to keep everybody together and to identify danger. 1 Peter 5.8 puts it this way. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's our job as watchmen in our home to identify when the enemy's coming to take us out and to raise the alarm. So how do we do that? Well, you got to be prepared, and you have to see with spiritual eyes and physical eyes. We have to be men of the word. you got to get your nose in the book, men. Know God's heart for you and your family. Be mindful. And know the tactics of the enemy. We have to be men of prayer. 
Get on your knees. Fight the spiritual battle for your family. Be on watch. Pray for your kids every day. I pray for my children every day. I do. I've prayed for, you know, I pray for my, my, my boys' wives, for them to have patience. I pray for my daughter's husband. Patience. I pray for all, I pray for all my family. That's what we do. That's what watchmen do. We need to be men of the Spirit. Be plugged into what the Holy Spirit has to say. And beloved, be on guard. You are the watchman for your family. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Look at the passage. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Now this is interesting. The Greek word for stand firm is steiko. Stay, kind of cool, isn't it? Steiko. It means this, to stand, to stand firm, to persevere. The inference in the Greek is this. You need to be unmovable. You need to be unshakable. You need to be able to endure and persevere. This means that we do not shrink back. We put our feet in the ground and we stand strong. That's what the inference is in here in the Greek. In short, we cannot be the ones that jump off the bus when things get a little bumpy. We cannot be the ones that when things start to get a little bit nasty, that we, we, we cower and we hide. We are not chicken little Christians. Men, you got to stand up. We're not the ones that go, the sky's falling, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. We don't do that. Godly men don't do that. We're the ones that face adversity. And instead of shrinking back, we stand firm, we stick out our chest, and we become steady and solid. We are the anchors for our family, our churches, our society. We're not weak, we're strong, we stand. Does that make sense? This is what God built us to be. Now know this. You cannot be an anchor point unless you're well planted. Unless you have firm footing. You can't be an anchor for yourself and you can't be an anchor for anybody else. This is why standing firm is such a big deal. You have to find something that's stronger than you. Something that's deeper than you. You have to be planted on the rock. Know what you believe. It's all in the footing. I, uh, when I was in Colorado, I had this great desire to be a Coloradan. Now, there aren't many Greek cowboys, so I didn't have much to go on. But I thought a good place to start was for me to get a, a pair of boots, cowboy boots. Now, my first problem with that is I actually went to one of the guys in the church. I said, where do I buy a set of cowboy boots? And he says, if you ever say that again, we'll take you in the back and we'll beat you. It's not a set, it's a pair. I said, duly noted. So I didn't know anything about boots. And I thought, I really want to get in the game with the boots thing. So we just happened to have a goodwill next to the church. Do you ever know sometimes God answers your prayers in unique ways? So I walked over to the goodwill one day, and there on the top shelf at the goodwill was a black pair of cowboy boots. My size, $5.99. That's God saying, yes, go get those, because I'm also cheap. So I grabbed those cowboy boots, they were black, and they were dress boots. Now, I didn't understand the difference between dress boots and actually working boots. I found out the difference the hard way. Dress boots are basically cowboy boots that have no, they just have a, 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 sl a slick bottom. Because I guess they're good for line dance, I don't know what it is for. So I grabbed these black boots, and I was so excited. Uh, I was so excited to show them off the next day at church. So I remember it was, it was cold, it was, we had a bunch of snow. Uh, our church parking lot had a pretty heavy slant to it. That did not deter me. I had on my jeans, my boots. I was looking good. I got to the church, and uh, there was some commotion already at the church. People were moving around. And I, took, I opened the door of the truck, and I took my first step out, and, and that's when I realized that there was a problem. I put my foot down on my foot, and whoop! And by that point, half of my big chunky body was out, and my other foot did the ground, and whoop! And then I'm hanging on the door like this going, oh no, oh no! And it looked like a cartoon. Have you ever seen Scooby-Doo where the feet go like that? Well, eventually my grip strength wasn't there because I'm chunky, <laughs> in case you haven't noticed. I, I slid in slow motion to the ground, but that wasn't the end of my journey. Because of the slant, I started to slide down the hill. Now, thankfully, at the end of the hill, there was a fence, or else I'd probably still be sliding maybe toward Casper, Wyoming. I don't know. And I'm sliding, I'm sliding, and all of a sudden the fence breaks my, you know, the gravity comes in and it hits me and I, bam, and I go, oh my gosh, I thought, I hope to God nobody saw me. And then I hear it. 
I poke my head up, and people watch, and they're clapping. But that's not the worst of it. I finally get to my feet, and because of these stupid boots, I can't walk up the hill. So I have to de-boot myself and walk up the hill in my socks. Is there anything more humiliating than holding your boots as you walk up to the church in your socks? I dare say no. It was an awful experience. Why? There was no tread on my boots. It's so funny. One of the guys saw it. The next day he took me to a place. He goes, let's get you a proper pair of boots. And they did. They tread on. I could run all over the place with those. But not those dress boots. Those dress boots, they stayed in my closet until Robin took them back to the Goodwill. They were there for a reason. Here's my point. If you want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, if you want to make a difference in your family, if you want to be an anchor point, you need to be able to stand firm in your faith. You, you need to be able to anchor to something that's bigger than you so that you can be an anchor for others. God has called us to stand to prepare us for what we're facing. Well, what are we facing? I'm not talking about you just have to be strong just so you could face you know, your normal day at work. You have to deal with Edith who sits next to you who's just mean. Or that, you know, that guy Chuck who's just a jerk. That's not why you need to prepare to, to, to be able to stand. Do you understand that God has put us as the church, we stand between darkness and those that darkness is trying to get to. This is bigger than just a physical thing, and this is bigger than just your family. God has called us, the church, to stand strong and firm and to repel darkness. Do you know that? You cannot repel darkness if you don't have firm footing. Our battle is bigger than human things. Your battle is bigger than, are you ready for this? Everybody take a deep breath. I'm going to say it. We're not talking about some type of political philosophy. We're talking about forces of darkness and wickedness, the thing behind the thing. The church is the only force on the planet that God equipped to deal with darkness. And you are the church. I'm the church. Men, God has called you to rise up, to stand firm, and to repel the forces of darkness. You know, if you're going to say, that's... It's a whole lot tougher to repel the forces of darkness than it is just people. Well, how do you know that? Well, the Word talks about it. Look at Ephesians 6.11. It says this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Everybody say stand. Against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, uh, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand, say stand, your ground, I lost my place, and then after you've done everything, to stand, say stand, look at 14, stand, say stand. You think Paul's trying to tell us something? I mean, he's used it like 150 times. He's trying to tell us something. He's showing us how to do it, right? So stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. It's a big deal, beloved. Are we in a society right now where truth is in question? Truth is our core. We anchor ourselves to truth, right? With the breastplate of righteousness in place. What is that? That's meant to guard your heart. Why? Because out of your heart flows the wellspring of life. Guard your heart with all diligence, Right? Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we stand in peace. Have you ever noticed that when you're frazzled, you're not yourself? So you anchor yourself in God. Peace is in any, not an Audi. doesn't matter your environment. What matters is what's beating in your chest. The Holy Spirit inside of you gives you peace. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. What does that mean? That means this, the enemy's going to always shoot doubt at you. Did God really say that? Is he really going to save you? Yeah. So we have to sing and remind ourselves like we did today about, you know, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. What does that do? It builds up your faith and it extinguishes the fiery darts of the enemy. That's what it does. Men, sing. Sing. Don't be too cool not to sing. If you can scream for the eagles on a Sunday... You can open your mouth and sing for God on a, on a Sunday earlier. Because let's just be real. The Eagles and the Steelers, we're not doing too hot. Now, I have hope this year, but that hope will probably be dashed week six. Sing. Something happens when you release your faith. Sing. Let's keep going. 
Verse 17, take on the helmet of salvation. Why do you need a helmet of salvation? Because the enemy's always whispering in your ear, you're not enough. God doesn't really love you. If people knew who you were, they wouldn't want to even be with you. We have to guard our minds with understanding salvation. What is that? Who you are in Christ. It guards your mind, right? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Know your Word. Get in the Word. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. We need to be men and women of the Spirit. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Beloved, you cannot stand firm in your faith unless you're anchored to Christ. You need a firm foundation. You have to be built on the rock. Stand firm. Let's look at the passage. Keep going. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Now, this is interesting. Some of you may have translations like the NIV or the NLT. Let me give you a little quick little, uh, little teaching on, on translations. Um, translations, again, we, the original manuscripts that we have for the Bible are in Hebrew, Greek, and there's some Aramaic. So what the Bible is, when any translation you pick up, it's their interpretation of what the Scripture says. I always like to go to the Greek and the Hebrew, and then I'll match a bunch of different translations to it. Now, I usually teach from the NIV, the ESV, sometimes the NLT. Sometimes you'll see some of the passion stuff because it's an interesting translation. On this case, though, if you have an NIV Bible and an NLT Bible, you'll notice that that, that men part is gone, and it just says, be courageous. Now, that's really cool, and it flows nice, but that's not what the text says. The Greek and the Hebrew is closer to the ESV, and it says this, act like men. That, word, uh, uh, for that Greek word means this, to behave like a man, to act like a man, to be courageous and to be brave. But understand this, the Greek actually connotated, it connected it to a trait that's supposed to be in men. So what is Paul telling us here? Paul's reminding us that spiritual manhood embodies courage, not just control. Did you hear me? We're not talking about bullying here. We're talking about courage. Spiritual manhood embodies courage, not pushing people around to express your dominance. Just because you're a tough guy doesn't mean you're courageous. There's a difference. So what does it mean to be courageous? This is the definition of courage. Not deterred by danger or pain, to be brave. Now, does that mean that men are never, you know, that we're not afraid? No. We're afraid all the time, mostly of our wives. You, know, you ever notice when your wife's upset, what's the first question you ask, men? Is it me or one of the kids? <laughs> oh, it's him? Oh, thank God. You're right. He is a turd. You're right. I don't even know why we had him, right? Being courageous doesn't mean that you're not afraid. Being courageous doesn't mean that we overpower everybody around us. It also doesn't mean this. We don't hide and we don't cower. We're not led by fear, beloved. We're led by faith. That's what God built us to be. So what does it mean to be courageous? It means this. It means that when we face uncertainty and the unknown dangers of life, we don't shrink back from those situations. We lean into them and we meet them head on. There are times that you just have to meet things head on. That's courageous. That's being courageous. Doesn't mean we're not afraid. It means that we move past our fears and we meet the uncertainty with what lies ahead. That's what it means to be courageous. We need spiritually courageous men. People that aren't afraid of the pain. People that aren't afraid that um, people aren't going to be happy with them. But they're obedient and they're open to what God wants them to be. Let me introduce you to one of my friends. Uh, this guy, his name is Tom Rowley. Tom's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a policeman in Inglewood, Colorado. And he was a coach on the football team. Uh, he's a, a police officer in an SRO, which means that he was the police officer stationed at our high school. Our high school was about four miles from Columbine. Um, so that area of Colorado is very aware of, of what it means to have to deal with active shooters in various locations, whether it's a, a school, a movie theater, a YWAM facility, whatever. They've had many, many, many uh, issues there. And I remember one day uh, we were there, and, uh, and he was a coach, and, you know, you've got some kids on the football team, and they were giving Tom a hard time. And um, I, uh, I pulled him to the side after Tom had to leave. He was in his uniform. I said, why are you guys giving Tom a hard time? Like, well, he's just, Mr. Officer Rowley's just a jerk. You know, he's at the school, and, and he's always giving us a hard time, and he's always getting us to class, and he's just a jerk, so we got no respect for him, no respect at all. I said, well, let me, let me tell you something about Officer Rowley. 
I said, if somebody comes in this school with an intent to harm you, I said, if I'm here as a coach or your teachers are here, we have one job. Our job is to get you out of the school and get you to safety. That's our job. I said, now, Officer Riley's got a different job. His job is to enter the building and to run to the danger and to take the danger out, and if he has to, to give his life so that you would not experience harm or death. So as we run out, Officer Riley runs in to meet the danger. I said, do you think maybe you could cut him a little slack, knowing that he's ready to give his life for you, even though you treat him like a tremendous turd? And I remember the kids just sat there quiet. And one of the kids said, we never thought about it like that. I said, it's true. Now, for that little group of kids, something must have connected. And they treated Tom better because they understood that. Again, what does it take for us to have enough courage to run and to meet the danger to protect our families? Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Laying down his life for his friends, even people that they don't know. So for us to be courageous men, what does that look like for us? Where do we find our courage when we're afraid? Well, we find our courage in the Lord. You don't have to be everything, but you have to know the one that knows everything, that has everything. God will give you everything you lack. In fact, Paul put it this way. He says, when I am weak, that's when God, I become a portal for God's power. This is what uh, Psalm 31, 24 says. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all of you who wait for the Lord. Man, if you're here today and you don't know what to do and you're afraid, I want to encourage you to wait on the Lord. Pray, seek the Lord, pour out your heart to him, and stay there until he fills you with courage. He will. Why? Because God is faithful. He is. John 14, 27, Jesus put it this way. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How can we be courageous? We know that Jesus is with us. Today, more than ever, we need courageous men to stand up. Be courageous. Let's look at the passage. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now, this is interesting. This word for strong in the Greek, uh, the tense in the Greek is important too. And basically the connotation is this. Continually to continue to be stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. This isn't just be strong. Ugh. This is grow in your strength. That's what Paul's saying here. So basically what he's trying to, to get across to us today is this. We should be getting stronger every day. The growing stronger process never ends for us. The day it ends is the day that we take our last breath here and we take our first breath in heaven. You should be growing stronger in your faith till the day that God calls you home. We model for our children what it means to continue to be stronger and stronger and stronger. You need to be better today than you were yesterday. You need to be stronger in your faith today than you were yesterday. Um, so in our family, we have three children. We have three children because we did not want four. Three was the end. And we're like, there's no more after this. And we've had an interesting dynamic in the house. I've got my beautiful daughter, Tori. I have my bonus daughter, McKenna. And then I got my two boys, Tyler and Toby. Now, my boys are constantly, when, we were, you know, when they were little, we would wrestle because that's just what boys do. And as they've grown older, they continue to test their father's strength. They're looking for the day that they beat dad and dad shrinks and goes, no, you're too strong. I just can't do it anymore. Now, I'm happy to report that day has not arrived yet. Because, again, there's a few reasons why that day has not arrived. Um, two reasons. The first is this, especially with my eldest, or my youngest son, Toby, he's really tall. He doesn't understand have, you know, having a low point of gravity and safety. He doesn't understand what that does. He's real tall and lanky, and I'm very low to the ground that I can get into places he can't get. In short, I'm chunky. He doesn't understand that. And they also, they also don't understand this. I am willing to go places to hold on to my strength that they're not willing to go. I'll pinch, I'll poke, I'll, I'll, I'll rip on shorts, I'll do whatever I can to get into their heads and then I just jump on them and then I let gravity take over and it's done, they're usually done. 
So we, you know, we, we were at the beach just last week, and, and Toby, just, we're just hanging out at the house, and Toby walks past me. He's got a big shoulder. He goes, hey, Dad. And he hits me. I go, huh. Somebody wants to get froggy. Let's go. So he, he comes in. I, I kind of give him a little push. And he comes in, and then we lock, we lock arms like, you know, like a T-Rex and a Godzilla. We're like, we're like right there like this. And again, I got the low center of gravity. Everything's great. And, um, but we had, this, we had a problem. The environment, I, was, I did not survey the environment properly. Um, we went to the beach, and, and Robin does not like the beach, um, like the sand, not a big fan of the sand, but she's a big fan of the boardwalk, funnel cake, ice cream, and ski ball. So we, were, we did a lot of ski ball this weekend so she could win prizes for the kids at kids' church. So we blessed them with all these little stuffed animals. So as we're wrestling, I stepped on, uh, on a little stuffed uh, I think it was a koala. And I slipped and I fell down. And Toby was like, I finally did it. I finally beat dad. And I said, no, you didn't. It was a koala. Threw the koala down and jumped on top of him like a puma. A chunky puma. And, and, and I won, so we're still good. Here's the point. Again, I think it's beautiful that the kids continue to, to test and see and grow in their strength. Beloved, we have to do the same thing when it comes to our faith. Don't be satisfied with where you are. Don't think you've arrived. Don't say, well, it's not worth going any deeper. I don't care if you got gray hair, no hair, or blue hair. It doesn't matter to me. You have to continue to grow and become the person that God's created you to be. Men, continue to grow and become the man that God created you to be. And be a model for your faith. Show your children what it means to, to be a model. 2 Peter 3, uh, 17 puts it this way. So you already know these things, dear friends. So be on guard, then you won't be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your kids should see you growing in your faith. Your kids should catch you all the time reading your word. Your kids should stumble upon you all the time praying over them. Your kids should see you in worship, your hands up, they should see men that are sold out for God. Roger put it beautifully. The kids, your kids should see somebody that possesses an active faith. They should see it in you. They should see you as you grow in your faith. They should celebrate your victories, and they should also learn from your failures. Do you know that you can fail right? You can. If you failed, make it right. Apologize. I know you ever, how many of you remember the old happy days? The old Happy Days TV show. I remember still the episode with the Fonz where he had to say he was wrong. And he couldn't say the word. Remember, because I was, Rrr. couldn't get it out. Rrr. Couldn't get it out. Don't be that. Don't be the Fonz. Don't be that guy. Be quick to repent. Model for them what it means to be Christ-like. Let's bring this thing home. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Now, I know, men, that sometimes when we talk about love, it's uncomfortable for us. You know, we just, we don't know what to do with some of it. Because all of us have been brought up uh, differently. Some of you have been brought up and you were taught that men cannot show any affection at all. Affection is weakness. You know, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't show any emotion, you know, and you, you're in the family picture, you're like this. And they're like, smile, and you're like, I am smiling. You know, some of you have been brought up like that. Some of you have been brought up the other way and you cry over a kitten that runs across the road. Don't let him die! You know, it's all different stuff. The point is this, love is complicated for us. But even though it's complicated, love for us as a believer has to be our center. Everything we do, everything we say, comes from the place of love. Even when we correct people with the truth, it comes from love. By the way, let me just say this. We need to be careful. If we're always looking to correct people, it's probably not coming from the best place. I think Jesus talked about something about a log in your eye. So we speak the truth to people in love. Everything we do is filtered through love. Now, all of us in our families have been brought up with different love experiences. For example, you know, my wife's family is a very, uh, they're Irish, Welsh, English. They're a very unemotional uh, people. They sit down, eat a meal in seven minutes. There's no conversation. They don't use spices, so there's no joy. Uh, then they get up and they leave. 
Now, my family is very emotional. The Greeks are very emotional. You know, we do things with our hands and it's loud. Our normal talking thing would be, most of you would cover yours, just what it is. So I remember we were dating and I told Robin, I said, we're going to come, you're going to meet my Greek family. This is part of my Greek family, a uh, small part actually, but just, you know, just part of the Greek stuff. And um, so they were coming to the house, it was Christmas, I think. And I told my wife, I said, um, you need to pack some chapstick or something. I said, because the Greeks, we are, we are kissers. We, we take literally, greet one another with a holy kiss. I said, you will kiss everybody in this house. Aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, animals, all of them are going to kiss you right on the lips. My wife goes, there's no way. People don't do that. I said, okay, you're going to figure it out the hard way. So I go up to my Aunt Chris's house. The first person to meet is my cousin Andy. He goes, welcome to the family, and kisses are right on the lips. And my wife goes, ah, because her family didn't even hug, let alone kiss. Now that night, my wife kissed like 52 people. And she didn't, you know how you pay money for the Botox because you get the big lips? She didn't even need that. It was natural because you kiss them, they're chapped. And she was like, I thought you were kidding. We don't kid about stuff like that. Different expressions of love. Men, I don't know what your, your background is, but it's your job as a man, a biblical man, to be a model of what love is for your family. Men, we teach our sons how to treat women. We teach our sons what it means to be a man and what it means to love. We teach our sons how to healthily express their emotions, how to lead well. Men, we teach our daughters, we show them what their worth is, and we show them what to look for in a mate. If you don't show them, there's a wahoo out there that's willing to show them all kind of stuff. It's our job as men to set that line, to set that bar. Men, show them what love is. Tell your children you love them. Ready for this? Make it weird. Tell them you love them with your words. Tell them you love them with your, with your affection. Hug them. Let them know they're precious to you. Don't wait till somebody gets sick or somebody has to die before you express love to somebody. Please. If they don't find love here, if they don't find love in you, they'll look for it in another place. Church, we need to be a house of love. I long for the day when people mention Trinity where they go, yeah, you want to go there because they, they'll love you. Not like, I don't know. They're scary and they think they got it all, you know, they're all that in a bag of chips. If we want to be a house of grace and a house of restoration and a proper example of who Christ is, we need to be people of love. Let everything you do be saturated with love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says this, let all you do be done in love. Philippians 1, 9 says this, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So there you go. We've talked about what it means to be a godly father, godly man. So what do you do with it? As I was going through my stuff today, and maybe as we were going through each word, the passage, you're like, yeah, I got that one. And you're like, maybe some of the other ones, yeah, I don't do that well at all. I didn't speak today to condemn anybody. Today, we looked at a passage so that you have something to shoot for, so you have something to understand. So what if you don't measure up in some of these areas? That's fine. Take those to God and ask him to build these things inside of your heart so that you can lead your family well so that you can be a part of, of who God wants you to be, not just for your family, but for this church and our society. Beloved, we need to see again our men rise. Not so we can beat our chests like orangutans, but so that we can treat those around us like Jesus treated the church. He gave his life for the church. We're here to give our life for our families, for our churches, for our society that's what men do. Uh, I'm going to invite Kurt to join me. He's one of our elders. He's going to pray over our men. I'm going to ask all the men to stand up. Um, stand up. Don't, don't be shy. Just to let you know, too, we've got uh, gifts for men on that back table. There's a little multi-tool that with that you can disarm a, a bomb. You can, um, you can, you can, you know, uh, somebody's making signals in the back. I can't tell what they are. I don't have my glasses on. Oh, he's got it. Yeah, he's got, Kevin's got it. You can disarm a bomb. You could fix a carburetor. Uh, you could even, you know, uh, uh, 
skin a frog. I don't know. <laughs> you know, guys. Know that. Uh, there's also barbecue out there for all the guys too. So we love you, uh, Kurt. Take it away, brother. We're glad all the fathers are here. Are there men here who uh, are not fathers? I would ask you to stand up, if you would. The reason for that is that every man has an opportunity to be a spiritual father somewhere along the line. There's a younger person who needs desperately to hear what an older Christian, a man who's not a father necessarily, can disciple and encourage them that way. That's a great privilege to be a spiritual dad too. I don't think Pastor could have made it any clearer today. It's a powerful word, full of truth, full of practicality, and full of challenge. I'm, I'm checking off those boxes as he's uh, speaking, and I'm thinking, whoa, not, that's not so good. That's not enough. That's not what it should be. Some of it's okay. Some of it's not okay. It's a real challenge to be a spiritual leader in the family because we can't do it apart from the Lord. So if we're going to be a doer of this word, not just a hearer, we need to pray. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you welcome us into your presence. You are a good, good father. Abba, Daddy, Father. We sang it a lot today in our worship time, and it's so true. And we thank you for your grace. Where While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we loved you, you loved us. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. We thank you that your mercy is new every morning. We thank you that every time we fall, you help us up again. And Lord, we are painfully all painfully aware of where we fall short, of where we don't live up to everything the pastor's been talking about. We feel the weight of the responsibility. We feel the weight of the challenge. We, we have feel the fear of failure. We hate to fail, Lord. We hate to fail you. We hate to fail those we love. And you understand all that about us. So we humbly confess to you our shortcomings. Where we haven't been what we should be necessarily, we haven't done what we should do. We fall short. So, Lord, we humbly offer these as, as confessions of falling short. But we thank you, Lord, as we lift these things up before you. Your word tells us if we confess our sins, you're faithful, just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we claim that wonderful gift of, thanks, of, uh, of forgiveness. And, Lord, as we do right now, I just, I just feel sense, a sense of uh, a stopping talking right now. I give each man in here a chance to silently pray whatever it is you need to pray. And I want to encourage the ladies in here to pray for, pray for the men. So I'll give you a minute to do that. Please do that before we close. Have your prayer with the Lord. Just be honest with him. He loves you unconditionally, but he wants to hear your confession.
Thank you, Lord, that you hear each and every one, and even beyond words, you know the heart intent. So, Lord, we uh, corporately ask you for your help now. We ask you, Lord, uh, we thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for receiving our prayer. But we ask you to help us. So, so God, we pray, all of us pray, that we would have a greater anointing of your Holy Spirit, that you would raise up the fruit of the Spirit in uh, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all the things that your Holy Spirit builds into our lives so that we can love and we can lead the way you want us to love and lead. We thank you, Lord, that your word assures us because you love us and because your word says if we ask, we would receive. If we seek, we would find. And if we would knock, you would open the doors to the blessings we need. God, we, we need everything you have for us. We want to surrender to you everything. We don't even understand all that. But we, we give to you, Lord, a blank sheet of paper that you could write your plan. We could write your agenda on our sheet of paper. We will sign the bottom, blank check, and give you, Lord, permission to have your way in a deeper, more complete way. And finally, Lord, we are confident that you will answer this prayer, answer these prayers because of what 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says. This is the assurance we have. If we pray anything according to God's will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that whatever we ask will be given to us. It is your will for us to love you, to love those around us. It is your will for us to live out this leadership role that the pastor has described, to take courage to uh, trust you, Lord, for what we can't do. In our weakness, your strength could be made perfect. So we pray your blessing on each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, all God's men said, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.